I'd say the negative would maybe be that you are always expected to have the answer. I rely heavily on my team. I think that Altitude has the best team in the industry, hands down. I've always said that I love walking into a room with these guys because when I walk into the room, literally they're the smartest guys in the room. I just get to sit in the corner. I don't have to do a whole lot. But being looked to to have the right answer all the time is probably the only downfall that I could think of right off the top. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of interviewing someone that I personally call a friend and an amazing leader, and his name is Lee Harnes. He's currently the CEO of Altitude Energy Partners and stays in Houston. Lee doesn't have your traditional schooling and career background, but it hasn't stopped him from becoming an extremely successful entrepreneur and leader in this space. He started his career as an MWD field specialist in Weatherford and later moved into sales and management roles in the company. He then went over to a smaller company to run their North America sales team for a few years, but then he got the itch and decided to start his own thing with two of his partners, JR and Sean Boyles, which is now the company that he's currently leading, Altitude Energy Partners. Lee, we cannot wait to find out more about your story. I love that you don't have the typical trajectory. Sometimes that's kind of boring and expected, but yours isn't. So we cannot wait to find out more of all of the steps that it took for you to become CEO today. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Give me a little bit of your morning here. Jamie, uh, Masil, I'm a big supporter of what you guys are doing in this industry and specifically in the space that you guys are uh, focused on with this podcast and your endeavors outside of your careers. So, you know, happy to be a part of it. We'd also like to note that Lee has always been a huge supporter from the very beginning. So we just want to say thank you for that, Lee, and thank you to Altitude. And to start off, we were just having this conversation even before we started recording. And the perception of people when they see successful individuals thinking that they grew up in this perfect life and they were great children and everything seemed to work out great. What's really interesting about you, Lee, is you were born in Wyoming, which is a beautiful state. And you were actually a troublemaker growing up. So in your earlier years, you were a little rebel. And you described it was your greatest gift you ever received was really having that in the early parts of your life. And moving to your father's hometown where the community displayed strong mutual support and where you had significant exposure to your grandparents clearly was a pivotal part in your trajectory, especially as a young adult. Can you share more about this experience and specifically how it instilled the values of accountability and hard work um, and also overcoming those childhood years? Yeah, as with a lot of young boys, I found ways to push boundaries yeah, you know, I definitely wasn't a golden child. I gave my parents gray hair at an early age. I'm certain of it. Around seventh grade middle school year, my family moved us all back to Farson, Wyoming, which was my father's hometown. A lot of our family resided back, my grandparents specifically, aunts, uncles. And so I got to spend a lot of time with them. And then the community as a whole, it's really one of those things, and I've said it a million times over, it's truly the epitome of it takes a tribe to raise a child from your extended family, aunts, uncles, to basketball coaches, farmer down the road. The level of accountability that you're held to is consistent across the board. And it's one of the things that I lend a lot of credit to in terms of shaping my moral foundation and how I conduct myself. And there are so many people that I could name that helped me turn into a good young man from kind of a rebellious child, if you will. 
Thank you for sharing, Lee. And from having that community and just your family being around you to support you through those years, because I think a lot of us can relate. You then decided to get into sports and you were at Redshirt at Junior College in Wyoming. And it seemed that that was probably the only reasons that why you were attending college is sports were just maybe what you saw in your future. But then you also wanted to become a firefighter, which we want to hear a little bit about. But those both dreams kind of didn't end up working out for you. You actually had to leave college to start working. And that was kind of the reason you entered the oil field. You actually started as a bar line operator. And you've kind of discovered this passion that you didn't know you had about working in the field and the oil field as a whole. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, again, it starts back in high school in, in the small town of Farce. And my high school basketball coach, Dan Mitchelson, I think is one of those many individuals that I give a lot of credit to. He found what made me tick. He could push me without me knowing necessarily that he was doing so. My focus was coming out of high school was just anything to to continue in my athletic career and in college and coming from a small school didn't have a lot of opportunities in terms of recruitment. I wasn't the best athlete either. I just wanted to continue playing. So I went to Casper College in Wyoming and walked onto the basketball team and made the team redshirted year and then was granted a scholarship the second year for a four-right scholarship to play. And I think that's kind of as my story progressed from there and then into oil and gas, that's kind of the theme that I always just wanted to do a little bit more. You know, I when high school was done playing basketball, I wanted to go to college and play. And then when college was done, I ended up in oil and gas. I, I started in down a career and I wanted to go to the next level and the next level. And that was a drive that I always had and something that was instilled in me at a young age through, I think, my family and kind of how they conducted themselves. So started in Wireline. It was right around the computer log was being bought by Precision. And that was my entrance into oil and gas, if you will. Wireline was great. It reminded me, oil and gas as a whole, no matter what service side, especially the services, but no matter what service you're providing, reminds me a lot of playing sports. You typically have a team, right? So when you're on a wire truck, you have your engineer and then you have your operators and you have your own team there. And so you execute at whatever level or pace that is by the engineer and directional is no different. You have your directional drillers and your MW, your core team. And then you have obviously the rig and company man and tool pusher. That aspect of oil and gas has always been something that I've found comfortable and something that I've naturally fallen into and something that's honestly drawn me in being with oil and gas. So when I finished college, I was intent on being a firefighter. The department that I wanted to test for wasn't test that year. That's why I ended up doing water. Once I'd kind of figured out what oil and gas was all about and that sense of camaraderie and teamwork, I never went back to test and ended up in oil and gas from there on out. I feel like anybody who's played sports or been a part of a team completely understands where you're coming from. Myself personally was part of a team and I can say that it really drives you once you start, especially in a group like a wireline where you do have, everybody has their key roles. It's kind of like you're on the court together and like everybody's like, you know, the point guard or who is in which position. And it really brings you back to that. And that can really drive your overall confidence as well. And I think that that is probably a lot of what you really liked about when you first started in the wireline. So let's talk about when you started working for Anadarko, you really felt like that was going to be your ideal path. And then when you were working for Anadarko, you then had this thought, like, I want to be an MWD at Weatherford. You just like, this was my true calling. During your initial year, when you got the role and you started working as an MWD, you worked for 330 days in the field. 
That's incredible. That's an, um, basically working every day of your life. How do you believe this experience has shaped your identity, particularly in your current role as the CEO of Altitude, knowing what it's like to be in the field and having started at such a level where you were the one actually doing all the work, working all the hours, missing out on all the opportunities that most people do at a young age? What kind of impacted that instill in you today as a leader? Yeah, and I think you guys have touched on it a couple of times. I don't have the typical pedigree of a CEO or a president of a company. When I left Vision Wireline and went to work for Anadarko, it was a field role. I wasn't going to be an engineer or any sort of a management role. I was working in the field. I was drawn back to the service primarily because I've never been an eight to five guy. I've never been a guy that gets up and has to be somewhere at a certain time and then goes home at a certain time. I liked Wireline so much. And a buddy of mine had said, Travis Wilson, he had told me at the time, funny enough, he was a MWD for Cathedral. He had told me about what his job entailed and being in the field and being gone away from home. And at the time, I was a young guy. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I, I could do what I wanted. So I was drawn to that sort of get in your truck and go and be gone and see new places. And I applied for uh, a job with Weatherford. And this 2006, so right about the time that the Weatherford was acquiring Precision. So Computer Log was bought by Precision when I was at Wireline. And then when I went to Weatherford, Weatherford was buying Precision. So all those transitions kind of coincide. I got to Weatherford and basically at that time in 2006, you didn't have to be a degreed engineer to get an MWD field specialist position in the field. I was able to walk in, submit my resume. They hired me on the spot. I started a week later and I fell in love with it. I mean, I loved the field. It was hands down one of the best jobs I'd ever had. The thing I learned in the field is that if you do your job at a high level and you take care of your business, you're accurate in your reporting, nobody would mess with you. You didn't need a boss if everything you were doing was done at a high level. So really appreciated that aspect of the job at the time. And then, of course, getting to form friendships with guys in the field and getting to know a lot of guys. And then the other part is traveling. I mean, I got to go to a lot of really cool places and drill wells experience different things that I never would have seen before. So that was my true draw. And then the 330 days or whatever it was that first, it was just fun. I was gone all the time. I'd be out on a job for 75 days and I'd come home one night, do my laundry, pack my bag, and then get on the road the next day and go to a new job. And it just, to me, that was a good time at that point in time. And plus working in the field, it pays pretty good. And so the more you work, the more you make. So that definitely wasn't a downside either. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, Go to technipfmc.com. And now back to the show. I really like that you shared that perspective because so many people have this 
always just negative connotation to the field. And it's like, oh, it's too hard. You're away from home. It's always negative. But to your point, the people who have been in the field and who truly enjoyed it, it's the camaraderie of everybody out there and working, hustling. You're usually in the field when you're pretty young, right? You're like in your Mm. 20s. And to your point, you don't have families and you're just out there hustling, making good money. And I think a lot of people will relate to you. We just... From job to job, we're like, we didn't even want to go home. We're like, we need to be out here from here if we had to. But, you know, to your point, there's always kind of like a time and a place for it. And as you were building up your career, it just made sense at the beginning. With having so much field experience and just being like a field guy, right? I could tell you're a field guy, you look in the field. Did you ever think once you went into Weatherford and kind of climbed up into different positions, I want to be a president, I want to be a CEO. And if those were some ambitions of yours... Were you worried about having to change who you are because you don't fit the corporate style or look? You know, I think a lot of people who worked in the field many times, we look at the office and we're like, we don't want to be one of them. And so now you're in that position. Can you tell us a little bit about how maybe you haven't had to do that and you just stay true to yourself? Yeah, I mean, honestly, working in the field, I never thought about getting out of the field. I knew I wanted to be some sort of supervisor. I knew I wanted to change things. That was always kind of my driver was, I don't like the way that this is being done. So if I could get into a position where I can help change things for the better, I mean, because in the field, you guys know, it's not all roses. I mean, as much as I liked it, there's some times where it was like, man, this can't happen. Like, we got to do something different here. That was kind of my driver, I guess. And then when my daughter was born, I was really, I'm like, ooh, being gone this much is not for me anymore. Like, I want to be home a little bit more. So those two things, moving into management to make change and then getting out of the field to be home and around my daughter were kind of how I uh, I, I focused on my progression. My driver was never to end up in the chair that I sit in today. It was always just to continually progress and progress for the good, both for myself and for those around me. That's where I think, as you said, staying true to myself, I think that's what's kind of kept me focused in that regard. I think if you talk to the people at ALF today, we're pretty laid back company. We don't take ourselves too serious. We do what we know is right. And then we rest on our laurels in that capacity. That's just truly how uh, I think this team has focused on moving this company forward. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about how Altitude Energy Partners was born. After eight years of working at Weatherford, you made a significant career move to join NewsCo, where you and the team achieved remarkable business growth and you were a part of that. And then during this period, you began to harbor aspirations of becoming executives within the company. You wanted to stay there and you felt that you had good opportunity. But unfortunately, those plans didn't materialize due to some cultural misalignments that really consequently brought you to where you're at today, which was to create Altitude Energy Partners. Can you share more about this challenging decision you had to make during this transition, as well as how you secure the necessary capital to build your team, especially considering you're also a non-compete. And at this time, like a lot of people always think that there is this bigger opportunity for them. They're like, okay, well, I don't like where I'm at. Let me just create a company, right? In theory, oh, that sounds so easy. I'll just go do my own thing. It's extremely difficult and you have to have, especially when it comes to oil field service, there's a lot of capital expense into it in the very beginning when you're not actually bringing in any revenue. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that. I think first and foremost, the one thing, if I was sitting down across from somebody and trying to divulge the secret sauce or something, the first thing is your team. You've got to surround yourself with good people. And I think that working in the field at Weatherford and working through management allowed me to join myself with really good individuals, like-minded individuals who had the same pursuits. Team is key. And then, and then secondly, you know, I'm, I'm, 
always thankful for the experiences that I've been granted, the opportunities that were granted to me. It's a big company and I was given a lot of training in regards to, you know, operating a PL and how to manage. And I never took it for granted. I always focused on it when I was given an opportunity to go to some sort of school that they offered. Training that the big company gave me allowed me to kind of professionalize my approach. And then going to the smaller company, that showed me how you can react and be quick and not be so, you can cut through red tape. You don't have to do everything so structured all the time. I think with my partners, I think we all kind of took the same lessons, applied them differently, maybe, which is what made us a good team. And then when we started Altitude, it was under that, I guess, with that foundation, take what the bigs taught us, take what we learned at the smaller companies, throw all the baggage away and just keep the good and start Altitude. When the idea of starting our own company came along, it was scary. We didn't have access to capital. We interviewed with a lot of people asking them to fund us, to back us. And nobody wanted to back three guys that had a crazy idea to start a company, a directional drilling company at that. We literally took our tax returns and bootstrapped it. And we had some really good people around us that were willing to buy into what we were trying to accomplish. We had a really good customer base right out of the gate that helped us in terms of, I think, guiding us, giving us an opportunity to try things and fail, but then learn from it and then can progress. So yeah, it was scary. There were moments, but at the end of the day, I think it just lends to how you build your team out and the people around you and you'll be successful. What an inspiring story. I remember the first time we heard kind of how else it's created and it's so much risk went into it. To your point, even when you were pitching it to people, they just thought these three guys, they don't have the Harvard degree. They're going to know because that's Unfortunately, how people think, right? You got to have an MBA. You got to have all this great schooling in order to build a successful business. That's clearly not true because all three of you have done it. Kind of what we want to talk about to see if the listeners can learn a little bit more is you were able to do all of that, took a big bet on yourself, took a risk. I mean, not having a safety net and a paycheck, that's a lot of risk, especially with you all having families. So how did you master how to even run multiple businesses? get it started, create an LLC. I mean, all the things that go behind a real business, getting customers, contracts, legal. I mean, did you get some coaching or how did you guys figure out how to do this? YouTube. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a joke that I say that all the time is, you know, you just do your research. First and foremost, J.R. Boyles, it was the tip of the spear at the time. I mean, he was a guy that the guy didn't rest. He was a million miles a minute. He was the driver out of the gate. At the beginning of the company, he was the CEO. I was COO. And really, I give kudos every day to J.R. Boyles because he navigated a lot of that. He really did, whether it was through guidance given to him by some other men he'd had in the past or literally just a Google search, a lot of Google search to get things headed in the right direction. So I give him enough credit. That's where it all started. I really like that you were so blunt and honest about like YouTube, Google, because there's a lot of times where even we get asked with flip of the barrel, like, how did you know how to start? Well, we just kind of Googled it. And it's a yeah. it's a true resource. <laughs> I mean, you really can do a lot from it. It seems crazy, but yeah. Yeah. 
You mentioned a little bit throughout your story about your daughter being born and kind of wanting to be at home when that happened a lot more than working in the field. So I'd like to discuss the concept of dad guilt. We always ask women about mom guilt, but we never really hone in on guys feel guilty too. And as a father of three, you spent considerable time away from your family in the beginning. How did this experience impact you both personally and professionally? And also, how does it influence the way that you approach Altitude today and all of the men and the women that work for you, especially in the field and knowing how you felt being away from your family? What are some things that you do to help support your employees? Majority is in the field for uh, one reason, one reason only, and that's to provide for their families. They want to put more than just roof over their head and food on the table. They want to give them the opportunity to experience things that they weren't able to experience maybe when they were younger. And that was at least my when I got into oil and gas and when I was in the field, make a good living. It's not faint of heart. We have experienced multiple downturns over the course of the last, what, 15, almost 20 years now. But I mean, we do it for all the right reasons. You're gone for extended periods of time. You miss weddings and funerals and birthdays and holidays and all those things. So yeah, the guilt, it does weigh heavy on you. But at the end of the day, you know, you're doing it for the right reason. I think as someone who has experienced that can kind of speak to guys having to do it today, I'm empathetic to it. I truly am. On Christmas, when guys are in the field, we try to do our best to make sure that there's for them the opportunity for additional money for to do Christmas meal at the rig site. That was one of my favorites is even when we were away from home for Thanksgiving or for Christmas was we all got together and like everybody pitched in like their favorite family recipe. Like Sean Boyles, him and I were on a rig and they had like cream corn was like their favorite thing. And it was the best damn cream, excuse my language, <laughs> the best cream corn I've ever ate in my entire life. That was always the coolest thing is like this huge spread with all these guys you work with nonstop, even though you're not with your family, you're kind of with your extended family. And we like to promote that from the altitude side with our guys. It's like, hey, we know you're away from your family. There's a little bit of extra change to go in and do something along those lines and at least like enjoy the day with your peers out there at, at location. I like that you mentioned that. And also just being empathetic to your point, being a father, being CEO and knowing what people go through because you went through it. You know, we want to ask something about being a CEO, and it's something that a lot of people, you know, aspire to be or sometimes think is an easy job, maybe, or that, you know, you have all the decisions, you know it all, but truly, uh, that's not necessarily the case. And what we wanted to ask you is, what is one blessing and maybe one curse that comes with the title CEO and with your position? Especially, I think I'd like to tell the listeners that you became CEO like two months before COVID started, before the biggest downturn in the U.S. with negative $20 oil barrel and the drilling space being impacted, I would say, more than really any other side of the business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Again, going back to JR, his timing is always impeccable. In January of 2020, he resigned as CEO and took over as chairman of the board for the company. I moved from COO to CEO. And two months, three months later, oil was trading at negative values. So what I'm thankful for is I've been able to experience a downturn in pretty much every capacity of services, whether I was in the field during a downturn, I was in management during a downturn, and I was running a company during a downturn. So I've been able to reside in a position during a downturn and experience that. And I think it's lent to how we navigated the downturn of 2020. I don't think I had a gray hair in my beard before 2020. <laughs> I think I woke up probably April. <laughs> it was like this. So 
but I'm thankful for those experiences early on because they helped me get through 2020 really in a capacity that allowed us to keep the core of our team intact and then come out of it in a fashion we rebounded an epic fashion. A lot of it goes into, you know, being thankful for my team as well during that time, but I'm thankful for the experiences. The downside is maybe I don't really do a lot of self-reflection in terms of negative capacities, I guess. I tend to shed the negative stuff really quick, but I'd say the negative would maybe be that you are always expected to have the answer. I rely heavily on my team. I think that Altitude has the best team in the industry, hands down. I've always said that I love walking into a room with these guys because when I walk into the room, literally they're the smartest guys in the room. I just get to sit in the corner. I don't have to do a whole lot, but being looked to to have the right answer all the time is probably the only downfall that I could think of right off the top. Lee, what I really like that you shared is when we asked you about the hard part and the negative part, you said, I don't hold on to the negative. I just let it go. I shed it. I don't keep it. I don't ponder on it. And I think that that is what makes you so successful. And throughout your whole story, we heard you didn't have this normal trajectory where you had to go get an MBA and then you had to do all these steps that people think. And I think a lot of it is because of your mindset and you never let anything or any outside or any negative thing that might have happened in your life hold you back from the next step forward. And it's because you don't dwell on it. I think if anybody can take something from your story, it's that you don't dwell on the hard things in your life and the negative things that happened to you or the 330 days that you spent in the field away from your family. You don't sit there and still think about, oh, everything I missed. Oh, well, me, you kept going and you used it. And now you're the CEO of a company and you have more opportunity than you probably could have imagined when you were spending that time in the field. I just want to say thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing your journey with us. And I know it really inspires myself just to know your background and you and where you're at with Altitude. It's really incredible. And we're just really happy that you're able to spend this morning with us. Yeah. And again, thank you guys for having me. Like I've told you guys on multiple occasions, I have two young daughters and I appreciate you guys kind of paving the way for them. If there's an opportunity for them to work in oil and gas someday, I know that you guys have laid the foundation for them to be successful in that nature. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, Lee. And if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see you all at our events. So we hope to catch you in October. See ya.